Well, hey, good morning and welcome to Genesis. My name is Jerry and I'm the campus pastor here in Carmel. And I just want you to know, I am pleasantly pleased to see so many of you this morning. We didn't know, you know, you know what people are gonna do when it snows. And so it's so good to see all of you. And whether this is your first time or you're here on a regular basis, we're glad that you're here, not just because you brave the weather, that's good, but we think that something really special and exciting happens when we gather together on a regular basis to celebrate God's goodness that's been revealed through his son, Jesus. And so thank you so much for joining us today. For the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series called The Valley. And in this series, we've been wrestling with the reality that we're gonna go through seasons of life that aren't gonna be fun. And they're gonna bring a variety of emotions with them from anger and fear to anxiety and depression and doubt and literally anything and everything in between. And so in this series, what we wanna do is acknowledge those times are real, those emotions are real. We don't wanna brush them off. We wanna say, yeah, yeah, I feel that. But with that in mind, we also have a goal. We wanna discover some eternal hope or maybe for some of us rediscover eternal hope that comes from knowing we never go through any of these seasons of life alone. And so as I'm telling you that, I, I wanna take a moment and pray. And I just, I wanna ask for God's help as we dive in and continue this conversation today that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to whatever he would want to speak to us today, no matter where we are. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you. Uh, just as Michael said, not for what you've done, you've done a lot of amazing things, but we just thank you for who you are and for who your word tells us you are, and we can trust you, and we can rely on you, and you are faithful to us, even when we're not faithful to you or to one another. We thank you. Holy Spirit, we pray for your help right now. I know that what we're gonna be talking about today, it's just a part of life, and we don't like it, but it is just a part of the human condition. And so I pray right now, I ask for me and for everyone in this room, that you would prepare us, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts up to whatever you wanna say. Help us to be in tune with you so that when we leave here today, maybe, maybe we'd leave encouraged, but maybe we would be challenged to, uh, to apply these things and to reach out to you when we find ourselves stuck in one of these situations. We need you, so would you please help us? Jesus, we love you, and it is in your great and powerful name that we pray, amen. So my wife, Casey, and I were married in July of 2001. And as you can imagine, it was a really exciting season for the two of us. I had just graduated college and she only had one year of school left. We had both lived at home with our parents. And so we were launching into this season of adulthood together. And we didn't know what to expect, but we were excited. And I'll never forget the moment that that reality settled in for us. It was on July the 22nd of 2001. It was the day after our wedding day. We were driving south on I-65, headed to much warmer weather in Gulf Shores, Alabama. We were on our way to our honeymoon. And one of the two of us looked over and said, can you believe that we're headed out of town and our parents are cool with this right now? They gave us money and people are saying, get out of here, you crazy kids, go have a great time. And we just kind of laughed nervously. We didn't know what to do. And I just started driving a little faster down I-65 South. We, there we went in, in, wedded, in wedded bliss. We, we, we were so excited. Neither one of us had been to Gulf Shores before. We had heard great things and we knew that there was a beach there. And so we wanted something new and different that we could experience together. And since Casey and her mom had, had done all the planning for the wedding, it was my responsibility to plan the honeymoon, which meant I had to make all the reservations and get directions to where we were gonna go. So I, I took care of all of that. But for those of you that are under the age of 30, I want you to understand how this worked in 2001. 
You didn't have a smartphone with GPS that says, turn here, go this, go here, do that, right? You didn't have that. We had this really archaic technology called a map. Everybody say that with me, a map. I saw a lady in the back mouth it before I even said it. It was a map and it was made of paper and it was big. And it, if you didn't fold it back right, it was never gonna get folded back right again. I mean, it was just this really weird thing and they could be kind of hard to follow, right? I mean, they could get like this big in the passenger seat. And so thankfully there were uh, travel agencies and you could go into the travel agency and say, hey, I'm going out of town and they would give you a small series of maps and they would highlight a route for you. When I say highlight, the lady had a pink highlighter and she highlighted the map and she gave you this little book of maps. And so you would, when that map was done, you'd flip to the next and flip to the next. And some of you are looking at me like, what is he talking about? It's like the great, great, great grandfather of Google Maps. That's the only way that I would know how to explain it to you, but it worked. And so as a responsible husband-to-be, I went and made our reservations and I got all of our maps and Casey was the co-pilot and we, we set off on our way. And after about 10 hours of driving or so, we arrived in Gulf Shores just like we planned. But when we got there, there was just one problem. And I kind of knew about it in advance. I didn't think it was a big deal. When I had asked for directions, I asked for directions to Gulf Shores, Alabama. I didn't give them like an address. We're going to this place. I just said, get us to Gulf Shores. And so I'll never forget the moment when my wife said, hey, the map is done. There's no more, where are we going next? And I said, yeah, I don't know. We'll figure it out. I just figured we'd figure it out along the way. And I'll never forget. She replied and said, what do you mean you don't know? And, And she, I could just tell from her tone that she didn't like this idea of figuring it out along the way, which is fair. We'd never traveled out of town together. And she never said this out loud, but I'm pretty sure what her thought process was is you've got to be kidding me. 24 hours ago, I stood before God and man and promised to love you until you die. (laughs) 24 hours later, here we are out of town and you don't know where you're going. Is this what the rest of our life is like? She's not, she didn't ask it. She didn't say it out loud, but I certainly felt it. Like you could feel it in the car. We were having breakfast on Friday morning and I said, I'm telling this story. Do you remember that? And she said, oh yeah, I remember it. And I said, well, what do you remember? Direct quote. She said, I was flabbergasted. I I couldn't imagine that you didn't know where we were going. And the more I think about it, I'm just so thankful she didn't say, pull over, I'm calling my dad to come and get me, right? Thankfully, we figured it out. We found where we were going. But I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I learned a super valuable lesson that day. It's not just good to know a destination or a direction. You need directions. You need to know exactly. It's so good to know exactly how to get to where you want to go. And I would just add in parentheses, especially when you're a newly married husband and your credibility is on the line. It's really important to know where you're going. And after being a parent for almost 13 years now, I would say that the same thing is true there, right? Like we have this, we, we wanna parent our kids to be responsible adults, but we can't just guess at it, right? We, we need to have a des- not just a destination, but like a plan to get to where we wanna go because people are re- depending on us for life. So we need to know where, where we're going. And I think that line of reasoning plays out in lots of different areas of our lives, from the relationships that we pursue to the career paths that we chase It's not just enough to say, oh, there's the destination out there or here's the direction that I wanna go. You need a plan and you need to know where to turn and and where to go along the way. And I know that some of us are, everything in life is planned out and some of us are kind of like me, I'll figure it out along the way. But would you be willing to admit that there are times in life, just everyday life, where you find yourself and you really don't know where you're going? and you feel a little lost, and you feel like you've been wandering for a while, and 
some of us don't know what to do, and some of us are like me. You'll just say, yeah, we'll figure it out along the way, right? Like, how bad can it be? And I don't know about you, but the problem with figuring it out along the way is I don't always think good way out there. So if I have a decision to make right now, I'm gonna make the best decision for the next step, not the next 10 steps. And the problem is a lot of times when we do that, or we get caught up in a pattern like that, we find ourselves at a place that we didn't want or intend to be to be at in the first place. And then we realize I'm lost. I don't know where I'm going and I don't know how to get back. And I bet we could go around the room and we could tell some stories of some times in our lives where we've wandered or we've drifted or we've felt lost. Maybe for some of us, we've made some financial decisions and we have found ourselves in a hole and we are like, I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this. It just seems impossible. Or maybe it's been some broken relationships for you and you feel like now you're just damaged goods and, and you feel lost. You don't know what to do next. Maybe it's a string of bad or risky business decisions and they, they haven't panned out the way you wanted or expected and your business is struggling, your career's struggling, or maybe it's a harmless habit that has grown into a powerful or an overwhelming addiction and you don't know what to do. Maybe some of us, and I'm gonna say this is me, maybe some of us have wandered away with our attitudes. I wanna be a joyful person, but it's really easy for me to get frustrated. It's really easy for me to, to be negative or to be bitter. It's easy to tear people down with, with your words. And I don't like when I feel that way and I just kind of drift and wander away. And I don't know, I don't, I don't like that about myself. And when you find yourself in a place in life that you don't like to be, or you don't wanna be, or you never plan to be, if you're like me, I bet you feel a little overwhelmed, don't you? You don't know where to turn next and you start to feel depressed and hopeless. The past has been cruel and the future looks really bleak. And then there's just the chaos of everyday life and, the rea and all of that reality and you're anxious and you don't know what's gonna happen next. Or maybe for some of us, maybe your life is very well planned. And I, I, if that is you, I admire you, but you probably know no matter how well we plan, life has a way of just blowing up and our plans go up in smoke. I was talking with a family this week that got a really bad diagnosis and it's scary. And they had a plan, but this wasn't on the plan. And so what do you do now? And, and I think they would say, we just, we feel lost and like really, really uncertain. Like what, what is gonna happen next? And I think that we would all admit or agree, we've, we've either wandered off course at times in our life or we feel lost because of life's circumstances. And here's what's really scary about it, right? You know this, there's not a quick fix, is there? It took us time to get to where we are and it's probably gonna take us at least that much time, if not a little bit longer to get back to where we want or need to be. Now for the last few weeks, we've been talking about seasons of life just like this. They don't go the way that we planned. They don't feel good, but we've been walking through a very specific passage of scripture. We've said this passage of scripture is probably one of the most familiar, if not the most frequently quoted passage when it comes to times of life like this. And it's simply Psalm 23. It was written about 3,000 years ago by a man named David who started his life as a shepherd and grew to be a mighty powerful king. But listen to how he starts this psalm. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And what we learned two weeks ago is that David is saying, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of creation, he's our shepherd and he knows us personally and he wants us to have a deep and intimate relationship with him. And because of that, we lack nothing. Even though we have needs in life in him, there's nothing that we lack. He has everything that we need. 
And last week we looked at verse two that says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. And Steve pointed out that along this journey of life, God, he wants to be our good shepherd and he wants to give us security and safety along the way. But today we're gonna talk about those seasons in life where we wander or where we get lost or where we feel lost and don't know what to do. And thankfully, David talks about this in Psalm 23.3. Look at what he says. He says, he, God, the good shepherd, refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now, if you're like me, you might be wondering, now, what does that have to do with me getting lost? That's, that's what I was thinking about two weeks ago when I started studying into this scripture. Like, what, what does this mean? And there's a couple of really important words for us to look at that I think is gonna help us understand this concept. The first word is the word soul. Have you ever tried to describe your soul to someone, go home and try to describe what your soul is to your 10-year-old or your five-year-old, right? It's this immaterial part of who we are that you can't see and you can't touch, but it is, it's, it's who we are, right? Like, how do you explain that to somebody? It's really kind of this bizarre concept. But in a Hebrew context, the word soul, the Hebrew word for soul here, literally translated means the whole person body, spirit, and soul. So your soul in the Hebrew context, in the context in which this was written, your soul is everything that makes you uniquely you or me uniquely me. So with that in mind, that means that this verse could be read, he refreshes every part of me. Now, wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it be nice to be refreshed relationally, and spiritually and physically, like to experience total refreshment. I think we would all agree that sounds good. Sign me up for that. But there's another word here, this word refresh. And it's, it's important that we understand what this word means. In the Hebrew context, it means to return or to bring back, to restore or to repent. Now, it almost seems like the English translators have gotten it wrong, right? To refresh. It doesn't sound like it means refresh. It means something different. In English, translations use the words restore or refresh. But the idea behind this verse is it's to be brought back when we wander away specifically from God. Now, to help us understand what David is going at here, we've been using this analogy of a shepherd and the sheep, right? I mean, this is David's analogy. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And we've talked about the fact that a good shepherd cares for his sheep, watches over his sheep, provides for his sheep. And if God is our shepherd, we can trust him, right? So we kind of understand that. But then there's this idea of, of a sheep. What is a sheep and what does sheep do? And we've talked about the fact that really sheep are really, in the animal kingdom, they're really not the brightest animal. And we've talked about the fact that they're careless and they're stubborn, and they're notorious for wandering away from the safety of their flock and from the protection of their shepherd. Now, I wanna put this in perspective for you in like real life. In 2004, there was a sheep whose name was Shrek and he made national news in New Zealand after taking a sabbatical from his flock. Now, if you know anything about sheep, like we've learned, they, they wander away. So you're thinking, well, what's the big deal? Well, Shrek was a little different. Shrek wandered away for six years years. And somehow he managed to stay alive, which might be a world record because sheep really aren't all that bright. But here's the thing. This is what Shrek looked like when he was discovered. Now, that looks like a lion and a sheep had a baby. 
I mean, that, that's, that's a sheep. That's six years of wool that's been collected on that sheep. Now, thankfully, he took a bath and used some detangler, and this is what he looked like after he was refreshed a bit, right? He looks pretty fluffy, doesn't he? Now, here's what's crazy. After six years of wandering, he collected 60 extra pounds of wool. Now, it's wool, but 60 pounds is 60 pounds. That's enough wool to make suits for 20 large men. In other words, you could take all of that wool and you could make a suit for all the starters, offense and defense for the Colts. Just, just think about it. These are large men. So needless to say, it was a pretty big deal when Shrek was finally sheared, so much so that it was aired on live TV in New Zealand. Now, I've never been to New Zealand and I've heard it's beautiful but those folks need to get a life. I mean, who's gonna watch a sheep be sheared on live TV? And, and Shrek was a rock star. He traveled the country so people could see him. And at some point, the prime minister came to visit Shrek. But here's the, here's the thing. His story's pretty funny, right? Because he comes out alive in the end. But how would you feel if I told you a story about this sheep, this like dead lump of wool that was discovered? You'd be like, oh, that's gross and sad. And what makes Shrek's story so great is that he, he was found alive. But one of the reasons that, that sheep are sheared on a regular basis is because their large wool coats, they be, can become a health hazard. They don't just weigh them down. Like in, in, in the heat, they can cause them to overheat. But here's another thing. When overly woolly sheep lay down, they can get stuck in low points in the ground or the weight of their coat can shift and they can get stuck on their back like a turtle can get stuck on its shell. And they are not strong enough. They're not designed to be able to roll themselves back over. And so they have to lay there to either be found or to be eaten by the next predator that's gonna come around. Now, I don't think we have to try very hard to understand how that story can apply to our every, everyday lives, right? Just like sheep, we're all prone to wonder. In fact, the prophet Isaiah summarized this in Isaiah 53, 6, he says this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. Isaiah just says, look, there's nobody special. We're all, we're all wandering off on a variety of paths. We, we all wander away from God. And I bet you're like me and you probably don't have to think too hard about the times in your life when you wander away. And, and if we were really honest, wouldn't you have to admit you don't just wander, you wander often. Maybe you get frustrated with God because it doesn't seem like he hears you. It doesn't feel like he's helping you or that he even cares about you. You get tired of doing things his way and you get careless and you let your guard down and you begin to drift from things that you know are good and you start to dabble with things that you know they're gonna hurt you and they're gonna hurt the people that you care. And in those times, just like Shrek, when we wander away, we get disoriented, we get overwhelmed, and then our decisions, they start to compound, don't they? And they weigh us down. The, there's a crippling aspect of life and our circumstances, and we just don't know what to do. And we, we just are weighed down. We realize that we've strayed. We feel hopeless. We feel helpless. And we don't even trust in these moments. We don't even trust our own judgment, right? Like we don't know what weighs up or down. And I bet you felt that before, haven't you? I bet you have felt that sick feeling in your stomach when you realize, I'm lost. I'm really lost. Like I've been lost for a while. Or maybe some of you have felt that tension in your chest. Like I can't breathe. I don't know what to do right now. Like it's just the, the pressure of life is settling in on us. Now I want you to think about the last time 
you felt that feeling. Maybe you feel it right now. Maybe it was a week ago. Maybe you're afraid you're gonna feel it this week. Remember that feeling. And I wanna show you one more picture of Shrek. This is what he looked like after he was sheared. Okay, look at just, like that's six years of decision-making for him just laid out all around him. And, and I don't know about you, he looks normal. He looks refreshed. He looks pretty good, right? All that extra weight is off of him. But just like Shrek, none of that, none of the refreshing came until someone found him and brought him back. He was lost and had no earthly idea how to find his way back. And I think the same is true for every one of us. We can't really get the help, the refreshment that we need until we realize I'm lost and I need help and I need somebody to show me how to come back. Now, with that in mind, I want to go back to this phrase in Psalm 23.3 that says, he, God, the good shepherd, he refreshes my soul. But we, remember, we said the word refreshes means he causes me to come back or brings me back. He restores me. He causes me to repent. One commentator literally translates this phrase, he causes me to come back. Now, I want you to think, what would cause us to come back to God when we wander away? Maybe it's what Michael talked about earlier. It's just because he is who he is and he does what he does. In his goodness, we can't help but turn to him because we know there's really nowhere else to turn. And I think the point that David's making is that God's goodness towards us if we're willing to look up and admit that we're lost, God's goodness can lead us back to him so that we can be restored to him and through him. Now, with that in mind, I want you to look at what the rest of this Psalm 23.3 says. He says, he refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. Now, I wanna give you a picture of what these paths look like for sheep. This is a hillside in Israel. And if you look really close, you can see dozens of lines that run this way. Those are paths that have been etched out by the sheep. And you can also see the vertical paths. I mean, there's tons of paths on, on this particular picture. And so there's lots of different paths to choose from. And David says in Psalm 23, three, he guides me along right paths. Or maybe you're familiar with this, this phrase. He guides me along paths of righteousness. Now, when you see that played out with a picture in sheep, you realize, okay, there's lots of paths to choose from. You need to get on the one that's gonna keep you safe but what's that look like for us as a human? What does that look like for me and my relationship with God? How can I follow God and do that? What's that gonna look like? And if you're like me, you probably think, well, paths of righteousness or right paths, that probably means learning all the do's and don'ts and doing and not doing those things, right? Trying harder and living in obedience. And I think we would all agree that living in obedience to God is a very good thing. And that's something that we should do. But actually, if you unpack these words, David's making a point that's a little, bit, a little bit deeper. Pastor and biblical scholar Brad Gray points out, in this instance, right paths or paths of righteousness actually refer to our relationships. More specifically, our relationship with God and how it affects all of our other relationships in our life. Brad explains, the idea here is the standard of learning to be in a right relationship with God that leads us to relating to others more appropriately. In other words, when we learn to turn back to God after we've wandered away as our good shepherd, you know what he does for us? He wants to teach us how to grow in our relationship with him 
so that our desires and our characteristics become more and more like him. And as that happens, guess what happens? It flows down into every other relationship so we can relate to people better. And it makes sense and it sounds really good in theory, but I bet you're like me and you can probably list off a bunch of other paths that you're tempted to walk down on a regular basis, right? I mean, would you, would you be willing to admit that things like social media and retail therapy and sports and hobbies and fantasy football, any of those things, would you be willing to admit that you wander down those paths and they kind of keep you distracted? Because they do for me. And it's not that any of those things are bad or wrong. It's just for me, I just know my heart. If I give myself over to anything too much, I'm distracted from pursuing God. I seek significance in whether my team wins or loses or if I win or lose or any of those things or what I have or don't have instead of just resting in who God is and who he says that I am. Some of us, some of us are so focused on a career path that we've allowed our integrity to come into question or we start to shut off or shut out the people around us that need us the most because we're chasing after this, this job that really matters to us. Or maybe for some of us, you've actually physically just wandered away from God. Maybe you grew up in a home where God was the center and being part of a church family was important, but along the way, something happened. Maybe someone mistreated you, or maybe you started asking really good spiritual questions, but all you got back was just generic churchy answers. Or worse yet, maybe somebody said, hey, look, I love you. I appreciate that you're asking questions, but why don't you just believe what we're telling you to believe? And you said, okay, well, I'm out. I'm not gonna do that. And you started to wander. Or, or maybe you just rebelled and you walked away altogether. No matter where you fall on the spectrum, I think we would all be willing to admit we wander, we stray, and we feel lost. Now, with that in mind, look back to Psalm 23.3 one more time. Think about what it says. When we wander, he refreshes my soul. In other words, he brings me back when I wander away. He guides me along right paths. In other words, he teaches me how to have a right relationship with him and others. And then look at what it says at the very end. He does all of that, why? For his namesake. For his namesake. Essentially what David is saying is God is willing to put his own credibility on the line for us. His goodness towards us, he wants us to shine. He wants it to shine through our lives because, you know, good shepherds, they don't just protect and provide for their flock. They don't lose their sheep. They, they lay their credibility out there even though they know sheep are prone to wander. And even though God knows we are prone to wander, he puts his credibility out there. Now, I want you to think about this. That means the God of the universe, the God that hung the stars in the sky, the God that knew how much snow we would get, the, the God that knows how many days that you and I have on this planet, that God knows how often we wonder. He knows how far we wonder. But he says, you know what? I'm going after him. I'm gonna chase him down. And even when we wander and get lost, he goes and looking for us and he, come, he brings us back. Even when we rebel and we blow up relationships, he comes after us because he, wants to, he desires to show us a better, a better way. I think we would all admit we're lost more often than we care to admit. Even those of us that follow Jesus, we wander. We have doubts. And for those of us that don't follow Jesus, you're just looking for a path of life somewhere, which means we all need to find a way to be restored back to God. And one of the things that we've talked about is that Jesus says, oh yeah, 
I'm the good shepherd. I would love to help you find your way back to God. Do you, do you trust me? In fact, this is something that Jesus talked about on a regular basis, things getting lost that need to be found. And, and in chapter 15 of Luke's gospel, Luke records a story where Jesus is talking about a series of things that tend to get lost. But what's really fascinating, as I sat down to read this story this week, Luke gives us a very important detail. Before Jesus ever tells a story, Luke tells us who Jesus is telling this story to. Look at Luke 15, one, it says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, just in case you're not familiar with Jesus and his story, that phrase, tax collectors and sinners, is used a lot in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's describing a group of people. It's describing a group of people that were known for their poor choices. It was describing a group of people that no one liked to be around and no one wanted their kids to be like. And those were the people that were gathering around Jesus. These people made churchy people nervous, made them nervous. But then Luke goes on and says, well, there's another group of people that were there. Look at verse two. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now this group of people, these are the religious people. These are the people that look like they got it all together and they want you to know about it. They want you to know I'm better than you. I've got it. I'm not lost. I'm, I'm, I'm good. And they couldn't understand why a guy like Jesus would want to hang out with people like that. Luke makes it clear there's two groups of people. There's good and there's bad. There's the religious and, and, and the people that aren't. But when it comes down to it, there's the people that think they have it together and there's the people that know that they don't. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to tell this story with all of the tension between those two groups. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Now, you know what's fascinating for me? I, I just pushed away from my desk this week when I read that. That's a summary of Psalm 23.3. There's a good shepherd who has sheep and there's one of them that wanders away. And what's the good shepherd do? He leaves these and he goes after those and he carries it back. And when he gets home, he says, celebrate with me, it was lost, I found it. He restores, he brings back, he refreshes but then after telling that story, Jesus finishes the story off. Look at what he says. He says, now for those of you that are lost, you better get your act together because God's not gonna put up with, with it for long. And you run the risk of being lost for the rest of your life. Thankfully, that's not what he says. And I don't think he says it with that tone. Look at what he says. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus takes the sheep analogy and he makes it personal in that he makes it about people. And he says, I want you to know, those of you that feel lost, there is a party in heaven when you admit you're lost and you turn and come back to God. The angels rejoice in fact, Jesus uses the word repent. The word repent, if you don't know what this word means, it literally means to do a U-turn. You're walking away from God in rebellion. And when you repent, you turn back 
It's the same idea that David writes about in Psalm 23 to bring back, to be restored. And, and in that one story, Jesus summarized Psalm 23. He says, look, I want you to know there is a good shepherd and I am him. And even though you wander, I'm gonna come looking for you because I want you to be restored to your heavenly father and I want you to be restored to the people around you and I want you to have a greater relationship with God and people than you could ever imagine. And in the process, I'm gonna teach you how to follow me and do what I do so you can share that with the people around you. And I'm willing to do that. I'm gonna lay, all, I'm gonna lay my credibility on the line for you. When Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, he said, I'm gonna back it up by laying my life down for anyone that would come after me. He's, he has died for each and every one of us. And so if there's nothing else that you remember from today, here's what I hope you walk away with. The next time you feel lost, the next time you realize you're lost, the next time you have that sick, disoriented feeling, when you, when you admit, I'm lost, I need help, guess who's there to find you? Guess who's there to lead you back? He doesn't want you to go any further he says, I am all that you need. He's just waiting for you to say, can you please help me? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so thankful for these, good, for these words. And, and Jesus, we believe, we believe you're our good shepherd. I'm so thankful that when you told stories and parables, they make sense, but you always made, you always had a way of making them personal. Because we're not just talking about sheep and shepherds. We're talking about the God of the universe and the way you care about us as individuals. And I'm going to guess that, well, I know all of us have wandered. We've all strayed and we're all in different places today. Would you bring us back? Would you restore us? Would you refresh us regardless of what's going on in our life? Would you help us to lean into your words to know that you've got us give us eyes to quickly see when we, when we are running away on our own to just turn back to you and to trust that you'll do the rest and you do it all for your namesake. Jesus, we love you and it's in your powerful name that we pray.